Aucklanders, I think they're feeling a little bit woolly on it, actually, not being able to go to their hair dresses or the barbers. What about you, Hayden Donnell? How's your hair looking? Kia ora, Karen. I think it's actually pretty good. <laughs> I think I'm growing into it. <laughs> Has it reached your shoulders yet? It's not. It's not. Mine kind of, oh, it's not good. I won't bore you with the details, but it doesn't go down. It kind of goes out. Yeah, we're all we're all our natural selves, aren't we, in Auckland? Yeah, it's been freeing. Liberating, you reckon? I think so. Very good. Well, I'm glad I can't see you in that case. <laughs> you wanted to start off, Hayden, by talking about the stories about the teachers and healthcare workers that are leaving due to the vaccine mandate. We still don't know exactly how many teachers and healthcare workers have quit uh, or been stood down at this point, but Best estimates say it's about 1% of the education workforce and maybe uh, 1.5% of the DHB workforce. So, I mean, if that's right, I mean, stuff must have profiled about half of them by now. It's run stories on Richmond, early, early childhood teacher Katrina McNamara, Christchurch mental health nurse Megan McNamara, Lake Hawea, early childhood teachers Kimberly Skiller, we've got Marlborough nurse Sandra Stubbs, South Canterbury school teacher Rachel Mortimer, and several others. Yeah, there was some criticism about featuring the teachers who left rather than the ones who stayed. Do you think that criticism is fair? You know, I, I, I think this is a pretty unique event. I mean, people don't abruptly lose their jobs over their vaccination status every day, and unusual stuff is prioritised in news coverage. I mean, just to use the kind of patronising cliche, right? Man bites dog is a better headline than dog bites man. And that value does exist for a reason. I mean, when we announce the COVID case numbers for the day, we don't also list off all the people who didn't catch coronavirus. And, you know, we don't write stories about all the people who don't commit crimes. And I mean, mainly that's because it would be boring, but it could also be pretty overwhelming. And, uh, I mean, we, we do this in news organisations, don't we? we? We survey our readers and they tell us, you know, oh, I want, I want more world news. I want to hear about the UN. I want to hear about Norway. I want to hear about the plight of the deep sea octopuses or something, you know. And, and then we put those stories up and they don't click on them and they do click on Meghan Markle or something, you know. And, and I, I think that maybe sometimes when people say they want worthy news coverage, it's not necessarily what they really want in their, their heart of hearts and the teachers getting stood down are probably more newsworthy than the ones who got a painless safe shot and went back to work as normal. Now having said that, I think that we need to have a few, we need to add a few very important provisos to that statement. Such as? Well, mainly I'm so, I, the thing with these stories I'm so frustrated by is the lack of context. Reading them, you'd almost believe that these mandates are being imposed arbitrarily, out of the blue. Why is it happening? They accept language like forced to leave their jobs. They say these teachers or these healthcare workers are forced to leave their jobs. Actually, all they had to do was go and get a safe, effective, rigorously studied, extensively studied, painless jab from their local pharmacy. I mean, it's not a hard requirement. You really. sound like you're, I working, mean, the, you're working for the government, Hayden. I, I mean, maybe me and the government are aligned on the need for people to get vaccinated so fewer people die of the terrible plague that's spreading across the world. But I mean, look, I, these stories don't contain the explanations for 
these mandates and the, the longest one I think was about a paragraph long and I mean the reality is these people are being stood down because I mean they may have more altruistic motives but because they're failing in their duty to protect the people in their care and I mean recent research indicates that unvaccinated people are roughly 20 times more likely to give you COVID mainly because they're more likely to catch it and their cases are more severe and symptomatic and that should be in every story on the, these people that are being stood down, right? Because this isn't just a question of the teacher's individual freedom, but it's a question of the freedom of the young pupils who often can't get vaccinated and who have a right not to catch the coronavirus if it's at all feasible. And the same goes for midwives who care for the most vulnerable people in our society who aren't vaccinated and nurses who work with sick and immunocompromised people. And those people's rights should be mentioned, I think, in the story, because after all, they're the entire reason this is happening. And it's weird to me that they're often invisible and unmentioned. Uh, so, yeah, that's my rant about that. I think that we should add context to these stories. And by the way, that also, I think, goes for stories about the hardships that businesses are going through. Because often we read those stories and we think it, it, there's, there's, you'd almost believe there wasn't a pandemic on. It's, there's no mention of the trade-offs. There's no mention of the fact that this is a contagious virus that thrives on close contact inside buildings. And so, I mean, that should be mentioned. We say, oh, maybe people know that. But actually, maybe people don't because we just had thousands of people marching in the streets for the freedom of COVID-19. Explaining the context in these stories, I think, is vital. It's not boring. Put it in. Well, what you're really talking about here are news values. Perhaps that's a bit of a contradiction in terms, but uh, what is the responsibility of the editor here? I think that maybe, I mean, I just did the case up above, right? We prioritise the unusual and we kind of laugh off these people that might say, hey, I want to hear about all the people that did get vaccinated and did go to work. And maybe we say, look, that's not going to work in terms of our news values, but we should be interrogating those values, right? We have to say, why do people feel this way? Why are they so angry at the way that the news is presented? And I guess the problem with some of these new values, news values, even if they have valid reasons, is that they do also have downsides. They distort the way the world is perceived. And the classic example of that with the unusual is that People believe crime stats are going up. They always believe it, even when they're going down, as they often are. And that's because crime is highlighted in the news. And, I mean, I, there's an extreme local example of this recently. I think the Bay of Plenty Times recently published a story headline, Gone, 26,774 businesses wiped off NZ companies' offices, office register in eight months. In reality, maybe that many businesses disappeared, but actually more businesses opened and we had a net gain in business numbers on par or better than other years. And people who read that left with a distorted picture of reality. And that's why that story is now popular in misinformation networks, I think. This applies as well to vaccine coverage, right? If we cover anti-vaxxers, if we cover the people that are leaving over vaccine mandates, we both mainstream their view and give people a distorted picture of how prevalent their view is. And that gives them a skewed picture of... Uh, of 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 how uh, I guess acceptable that viewers or how accepted it is amongst a trusted profession, and so yeah, that's a problem. Even if the coverage is justifiable in a way, something that we should always be wary of and trying to mitigate, especially through adding what I'm saying, you know, our framing of the stories and adding that relevant context. Right. Well, after looking at a few lowlights, you'd also like to point to some media highlights so far this week. 
I I just want to cover this one <laughs> just because it was funny. I don't really have much more to say to, about it other than check it out. This is Fone Harawida talking to Morning Report about an act of vandalism by a conspiracy theorist up north. Some dog wrecked a cell phone tower up here in Pukenui. Uh Then when he tried to post it, he, he couldn't because he had no coverage. <laughs> then he tried to race down to Kaitai to brag about it. And then he found out there was only 3G anyway. So all he does was piss off, piss off a lot of his relations from up north. And I understand they caught up with him later and gave him a bit of a, uh, an education. That's Hane Hadaweda. And I just want to say, and amongst all the noise and bluster and all those teachers and those healthcare workers that I mentioned earlier, it's been pretty useful and refreshing to have Komatua standing up for uh, vaccines, who absolutely no one could accuse of being a government stooge. <laughs> True. Uh, and Guy on Espinar has been in the spotlight this week with his documentary Proof. Uh, his doco is on our country's pretty dysfunctional relationship with alcohol. It was out uh, earlier this week. I mean, a lot of these docos tend to centre the presenter's story to a degree that can detract from the overall message. And I mean, this one does centre Guy on a bit, and, and, and he sort of gave up booze a few years ago after 30 years of what he calls dangerous drinking. But it also draws in other voices and really powerful stories which give it heft. And actually one of the most interesting voices in the whole thing is a pro-alcohol voice. Uh, well, pro-alcohol is possibly doing him a disservice, but he speaks for the alcohol industry. So this is Robert Brewer of the Alcohol Beverage Council. And there's a lot of good lines and sort of moments with him, but here's one that I picked out. Do you really claim that we don't have a heavy drinking culture. Well, you've said yourself that there's a, that, that's 20% of drinkers, not the 80% who drink moderately responsibly. But 20%? It's a nearly a million New Zealanders. Mm. That's, that's an extraordinary number. And there are 3 million who do not. 4 million who do not. The pistols at dawn. Yeah, I, I, I think both the journalists and the lobbyists had their figures wrong there, really. They were using full population figure for New Zealand, uh, but... <laughs> Like alcohol industry uh, lobbyist owning up to a million problem problem drinkers probably doesn't look that good in trying to defend it. He, he has a very interesting manner to him, that Robert Brewer, and it's worth watching the doco to check him out. Um, but I, I think the doco is, is really valuable and that it's raising an issue that's hiding in plain sight, right? Like, I mean, I think of this with car crashes all the time. The harm that's being done by car crashes has become so entrenched in our culture that it's almost become background noise. We just accept it. It's just a fact of life. 300 people die a year and on the roads and, and, and such and such many die of alcohol, uh, diseases related to alcohol harm. And I mean, we should be just zooming out like this documentary is doing and asking, do we really have to suffer huge numbers of deaths and assorted ailments every year in the name of keeping the status quo? We may be used to it, but isn't the status quo, when we think about it, broken? Do we have to accept it? Can it change? And so I thought this doco was good at sparking that discussion, and we saw that on Newstalk ZB, actually, on Simon Barnett's show. And they had an assortment of calls and texters talking about their relationship with alcohol. There was a man who was paralyzed in a drunken accident and still continued to drink, or a woman whose marriage suffered when she decided to give up drinking, um, and the discussion actually made some immediate inroads. So this is uh, Simon Barnett reading out a listener's text. Mike has just texted and he says, Guys, you wouldn't believe it, but this show has stopped me going to the supermarket right now to get my daily booze. Wow. I've just driven out of the car park. I've been listening since you began. Cheers, Mike. Thank you for that, Mike. Cheapest. 
you know, not every sort of story provokes these kinds of moments of self-reflection. So I think Proof deserves some credit on that front. I think somebody made the comment on that afternoon show that it was like an AA meeting. Yeah. Definitely a full board, as they say in the trade, that, that topic, the, yeah. the phone's lit up. Um, last week we were talking about um, the Herald and the comments section. So how's that going? <laughs> yeah, last week I did. I talked about the Herald being just about the only organisation in the world that's looked at the current state of social media and said, you know, you know what this needs, less moderation. So it decided that the comments on its COVID stories would stay open for longer because, in its words, as the country nears the 90% vaccination goal, we, it wants to host the debate about how we move on to living with COVID. Uh, it hasn't gone too well. Has it not? There has been some hiccups, Karen. Uh, so yesterday, its social media team had to shut down comments on an article uh, about an, uh, an Indian woman trying to work out a way to get her husband to join her in New Zealand after 10 minutes because of what it called the amount of sort of virulent, I'm trying to say that word, racism. Virulent. It is quite hard to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's a hard one. The post from the social media mods was admirable, as, as those posts often are from the Herald. But uh, it's also concerning because they said the reason that they, they had to shut down comments on this story was because uh, they already had their hands full moderating deliberate misinformation on their COVID threads. Geez, so I wonder how many people they have working on, on moderating those stories. Two? It won't be enough. It's not a, a large team. And the volume of comments that these news pages get, of course, is incredibly high. So it's almost an impossible job. And the moderation tools on Facebook are pretty poor. So, I mean, it, it kind of goes to show, though, isn't it, just how ill-advised it is to be liberalizing the social media policy at this very fraction, fractious moment in history. I mean, it's really hard to see how the hero looks at this environment where it's being overwhelmed by racist spam within 10 minutes and and, and says, you know, this looks like a good place to host the sensible debate on vaccine policy. I mean, RNZ's gone the opposite direction. It's worth noting, right? It's responded to the rise in harmful comments and misinformation and spam on its page by just shutting off comments. Unless you've got the staff to be able to moderate those comments, you, you really just can't allow that, can you? No, and, and these are people that are utilising the platform. They might not have a platform of their own, but, but they are harnessing the power of a news organisation with sort of hundreds of thousands of followers to get more publicity for their very harmful and uh, uninformed or deliberately um, misinformed views. So, I mean, it's it's not just a matter of, you know, the tenor of the debate being harmful or something like that. You can actually really uh, spread really, <laughs> or, or like hurtful, sorry, you can spread harmful misinformation across um uh, the country. Absolutely. Uh, here's a comment for you, uh, Hayden. Totally agree with Hayden. I'm a health professional. I'm appalled. This is about the vaccine and um, vaccination. I'm appalled by the numbers of health workers refusing to be vaccinated. Don't feel sorry for them losing their jobs in the least, but do feel sorry for those left with an increased workload and the patients who will suffer. That's from Annabelle. And uh, Gary says, though, most media and journalists are one-sided in their reporting in general. Do you agree with that? My view on that is that actually journalists could be uh, more direct about what they think if they do believe one side of the debate has a heavier um, weighting, in fact, or grounding, in fact, and they could say that instead of just quoting both sides of it. Uh, 
I would prefer that kind of journalism, really. I prefer they use their brains. Prefer they use their brains. Now, these are quite... They use their brains and made a decision on what the best facts are at hand uh, in a debate sometimes rather than just quoting both sides and calling it a day.